Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes, almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Naqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode from season three of the Naqabi Diary. Sister, could you please introduce yourself for the listeners and tell us a little bit about what you do, inshallah? Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm Habiba and um, my business is Holistic Habiba. I'm a women's wellness specialist and my specialism is like in womb care. Mashallah, mashallah, And um, I forgot to ask you actually before we started this um, meeting um, uh, about your Islamic background. I couldn't remember if you're a Reva or you've been brought up as a Muslim. So could you give us some kind of insight to, as to your religious background, inshallah? Yeah, so um, I'm a Reva. Um, I took my Shahada in um, 2009. And um, and started practicing Islam and it was you know I, I really love it so then I, I like changed my life around so in 2009 I um took my shahada and then when did I um like and then I started practicing Islam but at the beginning I didn't really know what I was doing mm-hmm. um so so what yeah, made I, you what made you interested in Islam in the first place oh and so that was a bit, it was kind of a bit weird, really. So I was really poorly at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, like all my life, I've been working after school, I've been working, I studied and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I've been working and I was just always really busy. Like I would always be busy. I would always be like with people or doing stuff until I was, unless I was sleeping. And then um, I got really poorly and I had to like take, started taking lots of time off work. So then because of my health, I was a bit stressed out. And then I actually wasn't able to work. I became disabled from my illness. And then I became a bit depressed. And um, I thought I actually thought I was going to die because mm-hmm. the doctor was like telling me there's basically nothing serious wrong with me. But I, my body felt like I was going to die. Then mm-hmm. I was like, I'd stress, like, I think I'm going to die. And then I was like, oh, it's okay. I'm not that bad a person. I'm going to go to heaven. It'd be better than this. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't even know who owns heaven. And that was like a massive big stress to me on top of being really like, um, like I was in lots of pain and thinking I'm dying. And then I'm thinking, oh no, I'm not even going to get into heaven because I don't really understand who God is. Mm. Then I just got into some really like crazy stress. <laughs> and then I had to find out, um, I had to like, I had to do a little bit of research and stuff. And because I was spending a lot of time at home, so like actually just was confined to my bedroom basically um, because I was so poorly. So I was on the internet all the time. And I was like, who is God? Looking who is God? Trying to find out who God was on the internet on Google. I came across um, Allah, the name, the word Allah, um, when I was looking into like ancient languages and like God, the word God, and like the name of um, Allah, it's it's one God, isn't it? So I also come across some Aramaic um, words as well. And then I was like, oh, like I'm looking at Allah. I wasn't really thinking to be a Muslim or anything. But then when I realized that like, Allah is, who Muslims worship I was like oh maybe they're Muslims oh maybe this is right and the weirdest thing was that my brother was a Muslim already so my younger around. brother he was a Muslim from being he was a Muslim from being quite young mm-hmm. in in high school he 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 took shahada mm-hmm. so I remember I rang him and I said oh I think I want to be a Muslim and I think he just laughed wow so he kind of just laughed and was like oh yeah right like kind of thing and um, because you never think I would be a Muslim like I did have some, I knew some Muslim people. So I, I always used to eat halal food anyway, because mm-hmm. of where I lived and stuff. Um, and I didn't like the people I hang around with, we didn't really eat pork and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I usually eat halal food because that was what was available. And I did have some, um, know some Muslim people, and they did say to me, um, one day you're going to be Muslim. And I was just thinking, I don't think so. Like, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy the way I am. <laughs> I was kind of a very happy person until I became sick. And then, alhamdulillah, I found a law. 
and then and then I was just like you know I prayed and like I was like oh god I don't really know who you are but if you like let me know who you are I'm gonna be really good and then when I realized like that connection I actually found Allah and this is like um, the real God then I kind of just was like well I have to do everything I said I would do now because I already made a deal do you know what I mean so I was like then I became quite invested in the religion like proper Subhanallah. You know, that is like the cutest revert story I've ever heard. Allah Akbar. It's like, wallahi, it's the most adorable story because it's just like, you know, every, like you had this quest to look for like who God is because you was worried about where you're going to go. You know what I mean? Like it shows that you had this whole kind of process of thinking like, you know, some, some people, they, they kind of just stop you know, where, like, you know, you said you were sick and then you was worried that you was going to die. You felt like you was going to die. But a lot of people, they have these thoughts and then they just stop there. They don't go any further, subhanAllah, but you actually went further. You thought to yourself, you didn't just say to yourself, oh, I'm a good person. So, and you know, let me just sit here and wait for death. You actually, you know, you, you questioned yourself basically, you know, to find out like yeah. if you really are a good person or not, because we know as Muslims now, obviously that, you know, we can think that we're good, but it doesn't mean that we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, we all make sins, and we're, none of us are perfect. And we hope for Allah's mercy, obviously, and we try to do, like, the good deeds and everything and as much as possible. But we always, you know, making sins and making mistakes. So it's a really, really beautiful story. You've given it very quickly. I'm sure there's probably a lot more details in there. But that's a really, really beautiful story. Um Wow, it's quite, it's amazing. Like everybody's revert story is so unique, isn't it? But like, yes, subhanAllah. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just nice. Like this, the thought processes, I think that is, um, that, that I, I personally find really, um, you know, that relatable as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of basic. Um, like I don't think there was, there was nobody that influenced me to be a Muslim. Mm. It was just more like, I think, I think I might die if I die this life has been a bit difficult because I was in a lot of pain mm. and I'm like I want to I want to go to heaven like I'm like how am I going to get in there am I going to like it's like in your in your head like as an non-Muslim you kind of have this kind of heaven and you understand heaven and hell mm-hmm. and there's like lots of like videos and stuff like imagining um heaven and stuff so you kind of know it's like a place that you're going to go yeah. it's like how are you going to go to someone's house if you don't even know who, whose house it is Allah. You know? and then it's like oh you wasn't really wasn't really in it for me so how am I just gonna let you in so yeah that was like it was quite stressful at the time though because um there was a lot of panic associating with it like my, my friends would say what's wrong with you and I would just like nothing and and they would give me weird advice like someone said you need God and I was just oh shut up <laughs> no I don't <laughs> someone said you need God in your life and I was like no I don't and I didn't think I was going in that way when I was going through this like depression I think I went through it for like like um, I had to start working like the November and I took jihad in the January so um, that's beautiful yeah I was like I was like really trying to find find something and then alhamdulillah after I took shahada even though I was still like in the same pain Mm -hmm. I just felt so relieved that I was I wasn't even bothered if I was gonna die subhanallah <laughs> mm, yeah well you you, you, well, you found you found your you found your answer isn't it that he was looking for basically so alhamdulillah yeah so like you yeah. can say in a way that the sickness is what led you to Islam because it gave you that time to think because you mentioned as well that you always used to spend time with people like so much time with people so it's like you were so busy you didn't have time really to you know stop and have that reflection for yourself but this sickness is what gave you that time yeah definitely and then that 100 percent. and that's why I like um like that's why I do the work that I do as well and then like when somebody's going through sickness I don't like I I've come to the other side of sickness now so I can see that like um after hardship comes ease mm-hmm. that that the, there is blessing in the difficulty that you go through because I mean if I didn't get sick I always think to myself if I didn't get sick like that I probably wouldn't even be a Muslim yes, and then if I, you know if I wasn't a Muslim I wouldn't even be doing this job that I'm doing yes, and this job that I'm doing I'm, I'm alhamdulillah I'm able to help a lot of people so yeah it's um it's been like I really I, like and you know it was sad when I got not sad but when I did start getting much better um I missed that um like strong reliance that I had on Allah when I was mm. so like broken up and, and you know you look back on that now 
and you're not like now I'm not the same person I was when I was really sick but back then I was like I was like obsessed (laughs) yes yes no I, I can relate definitely I mean I wasn't sick when I became Muslim but I felt like that period of time I felt like subhanAllah like even now like you know I'm I'm still trying but like there was something you know when you become Muslim like that beginning time like you feel like subhanAllah I, I can't even explain it it's like this feeling that you have you feel very close to Allah subhanAllah you know it's like you feel like he's literally in front of you do you know what I mean like subhanAllah it's, it's strange yeah, I remember like even reading the book about it was this, yeah. describing um the hellfire and stuff and I just started crying subhanAllah and I was just you know, like, but like now when I read that book, I don't cry. Do you know what I mean? The same book. Like I even went back the other, like a while back and I thought, oh, you know, I want to cry. Like I cried the first time when I read that book that was describing the hellfire and I, and I read it and it's like, I didn't cry. And it was just like, why, why are you not crying from reading this now? Do you know what I mean? But in the beginning, when I first read it, when I became Muslim, I was just like, you know, it really, it really deeply moved me so much, you know? Subhanallah. So it's just like little things like that that you you know miss, and it's like you have to treasure these different periods of time and your different experiences because you don't know if you can, you know, be able to relive those experiences as well. Again later. Yeah. yeah subhanallah. So, yeah, um, so yeah, and you mentioned your brother obviously um, became Muslim too, and uh, Subhanallah, it just it's amazing because um your experiences. Um, you know you how you came to Islam reminds me of um, you know there's so many people that I know and I'm sure you know to yourself but who who live around Muslims who interact with Muslims on a regular basis and you know they're not bad people but they themselves for whatever reason haven't come to Islam you know they they don't they're not like they're not people who hate Islam but they just haven't come to Islam for you know for whatever reason so it's it's amazing like you know Allah really guides whom he wills and it's everybody has their time as well yeah and you always want him to guide you always want you always want other people to be guided isn't it like especially when they seem kind of safe and like they don't be hating islam and um and you want them to like me i want them to become um you know to have that same love for allah and like throw away the dunya kind of thing Mm -hmm. they can have like because sometimes you see people to be a bit sad or something and you just think like oh but if you was muslim then exactly. it, you know you could feel so much more peace about mm-hmm. this thing that you're stressing about exactly um but um it's not it's not i mean it's not for everyone and a lot of guys who he wills and alhamdulillah we're just like um you know we're really fortunate that alhamdulillah we've um we've come into the fold of islam alhamdulillah we really are it's a blessing subhanallah um, so how how then after you took your shahada and everything and you know you you know started having your life as a new Muslim, uh, how did you how was your progression? Because obviously I'm assuming that you definitely you must have not been wearing the hijab before that. So from there, how did you get to be wearing the hijab and then come into the niqab? Because usually that's one of the main challenges for us female reverts as well. We don't like wearing headscarf when we you know first become Muslim. A lot of us we have, we go through that. So how was your experience? Um, I think it was a little bit easy for me to be honest and um, I actually think that the easiest thing in it one of the easiest things for me in Islam is putting in a car bar and like um, yeah. I don't I didn't I don't find no difficulty in it at all Um, so when I um, became a Muslim I remember my brother came to see me and he gave me this little hijab he was so cute mashallah it was like um, those little girl pullover ones yeah I really hated those I still wear them now I love them really subhanallah so wow yeah well, that's what I wear so I so I've, at the moment actually I've got one of those um wrap around the head things I don't really know how to put these on properly but I just pull on that um like that um it's like a balaclava type isn't it, yes, it is, I'll put it that is. little girl one yeah so I just put that on um so I, he gave me that and I and when it, but when he gave it me I noticed it makes your face look more obvious yes it does so uh, so then then I, I was like oh it, it looks so cute you know and I and I loved it I put on this hijab on my head but my rest of my clothes was not really hijab I didn't really understand the concept mm-hmm. of hijab to begin yes. with I felt like wearing tights and stuff would be um you know okay but um then and then I got a, like a longest dress that was like mm-hmm. near my car and I, I used to feel like I was wearing like I used to like wearing that and then um, I remember one time um, I seen these like um, I seen I met these sisters and they had these jilbabs on 
And then I was like, oh, I want one of those. Yeah, <laughs> I went to the shop. I went to the shop in Bradford and I got a two piece. And um, and as yeah, and I, I loved it. I loved this two piece. And I got um, a, a grey, a grey in a cob. And then I remember my um, this lady, she come, used to come and visit me because I was kind of poorly. So people would come and visit me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they'd be wearing it. And they'd be like my brother's friends' wives and stuff. And then... Um, no, my brother's friends' wives, yeah. So then um they they would always like have a niqab. And I remember one I used to wear glasses um all the time. Mm-hmm. So then one came and she was wearing glasses and I was thinking, how's she wearing glasses with that niqab? And then she said I could try on her niqab. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I tried on the niqab, subhanallah, I was like, Whoa, this feeling is really like I like it. And then and then since then I wore niqab. And with my glasses and then I was like oh I need you know the glasses make it look a little bit people are looking at me a bit too much <laughs> so then I put in um, contact lenses because I would sometimes wear contact lenses but most mm-hmm. of the time I couldn't bother it I was always in the house anyway most of the time and um, but then I put contact lenses in I found it a bit more easy going outside with yeah. contact lenses and any carb when you wear glasses and any carb like I'm not bothered now like I'm so comfortable now that I wear my glasses and any carb but there was a long period of time where I would only wear contact lenses yeah um, just because I was I just get really funny looks when I have done I remember one time I've got a sister and um, she's not Muslim um, and I was out with her and people were staring at me she was noticing people staring at me mm-hmm. and she was just like it's because they realize that you're human yeah subhanAllah then I just like just became comfortable I, I just don't even care about other people I'm not wearing the carb for them it's my thing so I'm happy wearing it however with my glasses and I, and I thought you know I'm putting these contact lenses in my eyes and they're bothering me I don't even like wearing them mm. I always have little bits of fluff in them and and then my eyes are always like you always want to blink and sometimes I'll just pop them out my eye like one of them out wow. I couldn't see through the um just because it was irritating me and then I just thought forget this I'm just gonna wear my glasses and then I just wear my glasses now all time. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's 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 great. Alhamdulillah. You do do have to do what what's comfortable for you, isn't it? Subhanallah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. As long as it's halal, of course. Um so have you faced any kind of abuse for wearing the niqab? Um well possibly, but as I mean, I just um, you know, it it doesn't bother me. I think um like even it's not abuse but people being kind of rude to me mm-hmm. um or talking to me a bit rude but I just I just I don't tolerate when people be rude to me because of my car or because I'm a Muslim it's like I didn't do not I didn't do nothing to nobody so um you get like a bit of sometimes you get a bit of rude manners from people in shops and things mm-hmm. like that um and I think it may be sometimes because they kind of fear the unknown and they yes. don't know behind this niqab I am actually just a really normal person and absolutely really normal and I'm kind of pleasant as well um so so then it kind of I think once if somebody's rude to me um when I maybe um start a bit of conversation with them they might be like oops like they realize actually she's not actually the person I need to be rude to and then you just get some other weirdos yeah, that just exactly, yeah. want to be want to be they just got bad mind, I guess, and they just mm-hmm. don't want to be nice. And and another thing I've noticed as well, I feel like um in my experience, sometimes it's like people they they kind of they can, they feel that they can be rude to you because um you know they seem to think that maybe you don't speak English. So like I've noticed that sometimes you respond okay. to somebody and it's like they got this look of shock on their face, almost like they didn't expect that you'd oh, be yeah. able to speak English. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think that sometimes when people are being rude to me and I turn around and I'd be not rude back to them, but I speak back to them like I speak just yeah, as yeah. good English as you speak English, yeah. then they'll be like, they, they're definitely taken aback and it definitely changes their mm-hmm. um, their behaviour towards me after that because I think they think maybe they can be rude to me, but like there's no reason for you to be rude to me. Even if I didn't speak proper English, you still need to speak exactly. to me decently. And if you be rude to me, I don't, I don't want to be rude back to you. But if I have to be, then, you know, so you understand. Yeah, exactly. It's a fun so Not to be rude. 
and that's 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 it's, it's it's sad as well because it it goes it's like you said like just because somebody can't speak English doesn't give you the right to be to, to be rude to them because I mean how would somebody feel if you're an English speaking you only speak English and you go abroad to another country and because you don't speak the local language people are going to be rude to you you wouldn't like it you know what I mean so it, it's 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 sad that people have um these kind of um you know bad manners basically yeah bad manners that's it yeah it's not on because everyone should be treated the same I don't feel like there's a there's a there's ever a reason that you could treat somebody badly unless they did something badly to you exactly then okay, understandable that you might want to be a bit rude to them but um it's not it's not acceptable to me I didn't do nothing bad yeah of course I have been so um let's talk a little bit about your work because you mentioned that um you know alhamdulillah you know coming to islam is something that's also helps you get into the line of work that you're in now so how did that come about because you you help women with regards to their the health of their womb and everything so how did you get into that yeah so um so after i um became a muslim um then like a few months later i finally got a diagnosis of why my, why i was so poorly and i had like really advanced endometriosis which is this um like a disease of the womb mm-hmm. um I had, like, I had it probably for about 10 years or something before they wow. diagnosed it. Wow. It was quite um, advanced and it was causing me a lot of suffering. Like when I finally got the diagnosis, I wasn't walking um, properly. Um, when I go, I go to the, I would sit, just sit in my room most of the time. Then my mum, uh, someone would take me to the hospital. And then um, in the hospital, I, I couldn't actually walk. So they put me in a wheelchair and they pushed me around. And if I ever had to go to the supermarket or something, um, I'd be pushed around I just couldn't walk because I was in like severe pain I was on lots of medication and stuff mm. um, like pain medication and um, then I was like oh finally I've got endometriosis <laughs> um, but I wasn't really happy to have endometriosis because they were making out like there was no um, there was no cure for it it's just something mm-hmm. you're gonna have to deal with and we can give you some operations and da, 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 da. so when I found out about um, hijama very early into um islam like within mm. about mm, very soon but within three months of being a muslim i heard about hijama um as i used to read loads of books in one of the books it was talking about hijama and about the hadith related to it and about it being one of the best remedies mm-hmm. and um, i went to have some hijama with this um lady i had it with a few different ladies back then though this is in like 2009 yeah. there wasn't so many people doing it. no there i did wasn't. go to a few different ladies yeah, yeah was at all. I think it, I think that was probably around the time that I started getting into hijama as well because um yeah yeah I was I probably was reading about it at the same time and I didn't know anybody who'd done it because I'd never heard of it at all subhanallah yeah yeah alhamdulillah I found um, a lady that did it for me and um I went to her and and I kept on going back to her like one of my brother's friends would his wife would take me over because I wasn't actually disabled at this time wasn't mm-hmm. doing no mobility nothing um I was very very poorly we used to like have that lady that comes to your house to care for you you yeah. know the carer yeah and so I was not mobile on my own house I always have someone with me and at one time I had one session I always go for the sunny days as well yeah and the one time I had this session and subhanAllah, it was so crazy because I was on really strong opiates and I would still feel pain. So I was always in pain and I was on very strong opiates. And then for like three days after I had the hijama, three days in a row, it was like, I didn't think I could feel pain as much. SubhanAllah. And I was like, SubhanAllah, what is this? And then um, my mum, she was like, my mum's my mom a bit into alternative um, therapies and I was staying at my mum's house at this time. And then... Um, she was like, oh, why don't you learn about this? It'd be very good for you because she could see I was still a bit depressed because mm. I'm just like confined to my bedroom playing on Nintendo Wii, is it? Like, I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm reading and I'm watching YouTube and stuff, but it's like, it's not me. Like, I'm not used to being in the house all the time. So mum says I should do some education because she knows I like learning and of stuff course, like that. Of course. So then we, did a, we did a hijama course. And then, um, yeah, I got really into hijama. Oh, this is a bit long, this story, because actually um, I began with hijama and then I used to do hijama to myself all the time. Um, just because it was really good for pain relief. Like, mm. it was really, really good. And I was in, like, severe 
severe pain. Um, and I would do like um, wet cupping on myself and I'll do like dry cupping, I'll do massage cupping on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go to the lady as well, like maybe once a week on a, on a once a month on like a sunny day mm-hmm. and get like my full body hijammed. Um, and then and then I um I was still poorly for a while actually, but I got much better, but I still stayed on the opiates. Yes. And then um one time I had this operation and this operation was just just went really bad. Mm. And then um after that operation went really bad, I was really annoyed at the doctors and I thought, look, how many times do you have to do these operations and you, you don't even seem to know what you're doing? And it's after years of you telling me there's basically nothing wrong with me, then you find out there's something wrong with me and it's so bad that you don't really know how to fix it. Oh, no. So then I um I started saying I'm gonna see what I can do, like fix this myself kind of thing. So I started having massages, different types of massages. Mm-hmm. And then there was this massage that I wanted to do. Um, but I couldn't find no one to do it. And I, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of money in them days because I wasn't working. So mm-hmm. I just would have like um, benefit money, which is yeah. not a lot of money. Um, and then I, I did find this massage that I wanted to do, but it was a bit expensive. So I went for this other one, which was similar. And it was an abdominal massage. And then um, then I started getting um, like a relief of my symptoms. And then when I went to have this other surgery again, this is a bit of a long story. I had like two operations um, and they said that they'd confirmed that I had endometriosis. And then I went for the third one to say where they, um, where they said they were going to get rid of it. And during the third one, they um, made an error in the surgery and um, busted my kidney. So I have this kidney that, in a really weird place. So the kidney is <laughs> hands in the way. It's like, it's, you know, all of this stuff is going to have to happen with my health makes me so like into health and um, yes. the way I'm into it now. Alhamdulillah, it's like, even though at the time when you're, when you bust, you don't really get it. But like, um, in hindsight, I can just see how this path has been, um, this, you know, how this has been laid for me. Alhamdulillah. So then they busted my kidney, um, which is kidney that like sits, like most kidneys, they're, um, they're up in the back. But I have one of mine and it's kind of, it's in, it's in the pelvis, so it's right near your womb. Mm-hmm. So because I was having surgery near the doctor, I don't know why the doctor busted it, but he busted it. <laughs> and then because he busted it, it just like bleeding all over the place. And then they just like um, had to like stop my surgery and fix the kidney and focus on fixing the kidney because it's quite severe that they like busted it and um, think it must be an important organ handed it that so anyway and then I come out of that surgery um and it was a bit it was a bit depressing because um I just went in there for some keyhole surgery and I come mm. out with this massive big scar and in so much more pain than I went in I was just like oh no <laughs> but um handed it that um then that, that's what made me really angry with the doctors I'm like, I don't think they know what they're doing. How did they not even know it's a kidney? I mean, it's not the first time it's looked inside my body. Um, they've been inside my body loads of times um, with, you know, scans and stuff like that. Every, mm-hmm. Like, I've known I've had a pelvic kidney for so many years um, before even having any surgery. Um, so then um, I start. so then what's really interesting is when I did the, um, I think this is really interesting. This is like, I feel like this is one of the miracles. I get all these cool miracles and I feel like, wow. Um, so when I had this busted kidney, um, I, um, I started having a lot of hijama for, to, for my recovery of this yes. um, mm-hmm. surgery. And then I had some testing on my kidney and they said that the function, you know, the kidney's broken now and it's just, um, you got 2%, 2% function on it and just, you know, so yeah, that's what they said, whatever your kidney. And I was like, okay. So um, just 2% function. Yeah, because what had happened, I think they'd busted it with like oh. um, an instrument see, in the surgery and then all the blood would come out and then I don't know, like they say, once well, your kidney's broken, your kidney's broken and they say your kidneys don't really get fixed again. Mm. So, they, so they did all these tests um, because they'd never tested the kidney before, um, before this, but because they'd injured it, they had to do a lot more tests on it. So I had to have all these weird tests and they, it was quite cool because when you see your kidney being formed on the screen, it's actually the shape of the kidney beam. Yeah, subhanAllah. Um, so then, um, so then, 
I was like, they said I had to go back for another surgery to actually get rid of the endometriosis finally. And then my way to getting that done, I was having a lot of, uh, I went and started doing a lot of massages mm-hmm. and a lot of like alternative therapies, loads of hijama and mm-hmm. dry cupping all the time. Um, and then when I went to have some checkups on my kidney, like about nine months later, mm-hmm. they told me, subhanAllah, that my kidney has um, healed itself. My kidney doesn't seem to be broken anymore. you know because I said but you told me that the kidney was busted now and you know that's it and I was like and they was just like I said how's this happened then um because at this point I was really like very questioning these doctors you know Mm -hmm. what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and they were like we don't know it's a miracle subhanallah wow that's the thing like really these doctors they they can you can study and learn and practice something but the healing the shifa it only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally that's it Mm -hmm. so that was weird and then um when I finally got my next um surgery scheduled it was about a year later so over this last year I've made loads of different changes in my lifestyle Mm -hmm. in my um in my food in in like the different kind of treatments I was doing for myself and when I went to have my next endometriosis surgery to finally get rid of it, because they hadn't got rid of it because um, they messed up the surgery, they said I didn't have it anymore. That's beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Wow. So you, all the different holistic therapies that you was doing have, yeah. alhamdulillah, um, you know, given the healer. Well, Allah's given the healing, but subhanAllah, you've been able to heal, get healed from those therapies. That's amazing. So, okay, mashallah. So, Allah Akbar, you was healed. You've been healed now. So, how long ago was that? So, that was actually, that was ages ago when they said I didn't have endometriosis anymore. So, that was in 2012. But I still did have a lot of um, pain symptoms. And they said to me, this is because your nerves, nerves have been damaged. Nice. And then I was like, how do I fix my nerves? And they like, oh, you're not going to fix your nerves. They're just going to be damaged forever. Wow. But so I was in a lot of pain. I carried on with um, the lifestyle, the holistic lifestyle. And then it was in 2016 that I actually became, alhamdulillah, pain-free. And, and um, it was in 2014 that I um, stopped taking um, all medicines mm-hmm. off the doctor, everything, nothing after that. Because I was in a lot of pain. Like, even though they said I didn't have endometriosis, I still could feel quite severe pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still an opiate until 2014. And then I came off those. And 2014, um, I had my first son then, alhamdulillah. Um, and then, in, and I still was in pain, but I didn't take any. Uh, I would just like be like, I would just take loads of turmeric, mm-hmm. um, turmeric capsules. Yeah, um, I'd make my own ca- own kind of. Um, I was my own pharmacist then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all this, all different kind of herbs and stuff like that. And then in 2016, that's when I started Holistic Habiba. I had some treatments in, I think, 2015 mm-hmm. um, for wound massage. And they were so effective. That basically stopped the pain. Yeah, the, 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 not every single bit, but most of the pain. And then my life became really much ma- more manageable. I actually managed to do my driving. I'd been trying to do since I was 17. Um, I think I was like 30. I was 30-something when I finally passed my driving test. I got there in the end and um, I was able to drive because before um, I wasn't able to drive because when I press the clutch my leg would feel like it really painful oh, so, so now I drive automatic as well so that's much easier alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Um, and then I so I started um, Holistic Habiba in 2016 and yeah like I've been alhamdulillah like I thought it was just me at first but then we I do the same kind of like holistic spectrum thing with the ladies so um like all the different things like food lifestyle and um, toxins and um, like even the company that you keep can be quite toxic sometimes which can affect your health so yeah like I look at loads of different things that I can help people I've helped loads of people with endometriosis I have to do that that makes me feel really happy because um I feel like if I didn't have my difficulty, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be the person I am now. Absolutely. It's just such an amazing story. So what an amazing journey you've been on. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Wow. 
So how can sisters or anybody who um, has this issue of endometriosis or other womb related illnesses, how can they get in contact with you? I have an Instagram account mm -hmm. and I post on there like um, information about how you can um, get better with your um, endometriosis mm -hmm. and not just endometriosis because um, I think like endometriosis has just become part of it because I don't have endometriosis anymore I don't have any of the symptoms I have in there I mean I've got even like when I speak to women with endometriosis now subhanallah I I feel the pain that they're going through I absolutely understand the the calamity of that severe pain mm -hmm. but subhanallah I don't have that anymore and I'd it makes me really sad to sometimes speak to people with endometriosis because they, they, you hear a lot of the same medical trauma mm -hmm. that they're going through and they've been through. But I don't just help women with endometriosis, I help women with anything like basically womb related. That, so that could be like, getting, what like helping getting pregnant and all this other kind of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, alhamdulillah. So yeah, so with endometriosis, women do find it more difficult to get pregnant. Mm. So um so we help them we help them basically we help fix the period I help fix the period and by fixing periods which is something nobody wants to talk about so then that's what I found as well as being a Muslim mm. um you know nobody talks about periods and, yeah. and how often do you go to the toilet and because these are really important to your health mm -hmm. so um I talk about like stuff like that um like taboos in the deen yeah you know, of course, no of one course. and that's the thing like in in islam itself this this not a taboo but like it seems to be in like a lot of muslim cultures is a taboo like i remember one time there was a sister like mm -hmm. she was breast she was she was going to breastfeed her child and it's like she kind of started doing all these weird like gestures like she wants to and i said oh do you want to breastfeed your baby and like she just gave me this kind of look like like how can you say that because she had another child there who was about 10 or 11 a girl child as well a girl not even a boy like do you know what I mean it was a girl but just the fact that I'd said the word breast it was just like you know she looked like you know like she just wanted to like kind of put me in a bag and ship me off somewhere like you know how could you say and I was thinking like yeah. that's so weird like because I think as well with the issues of periods boys they need to know about these things I mean women are not mutants. Totally. You know I mean women are not mutants and I remember I remember one time um, some sisters came to my house and um I wasn't praying yeah so um they, and that it was time to pray or something like that and then um I must have um the my kids they knew like I think well I've got a boy and a girl right they were smaller than time but um so I think um, my, I don't know I don't know what happened but something they they, they must have asked me a question like oh and um, how how does your son know that you're not praying or something and I just I just like how do you explain to them that you're not praying because I was single like, single mum and I think for a lot of sisters they kind of use their husbands as their kind of way to distract their children that they're not praying salah at those particular times mm -hmm. kind of thing do you know what I mean because obviously you're always encouraging your kids to pray as a mother and I just said to them, well, I've just I've explained to both of them. And I, I just said to them, there's certain times in a month that comes that a woman, she's not allowed to pray because something happens to her body physically. Because they was really small. So I didn't tell them, oh, like it's, I mean, the full details. But I just explained to them in simple terms. And I think my son, he must have been like maybe four or five. But they understood. So it's like any time that time of the month came and I used mm -hmm. to go and encourage them to go and do their prayer or whatever. They, it was normal for them. They didn't think, oh, well, why isn't mama praying? They would just be like, yeah, they just go and do their prayer. And they know that I'm not praying because I can't. That was it. It was sim sim something simple for them to like understand. And as they've gone older, obviously, you know, they get to know some more details bit by bit, you know, just, I just think like, if, if we if we keep these kind of things from our children, especially boys as well, girls as well as boys, I, unfortunately, mm -hmm. some girls go through the horrific experience of never knowing what a period is until they get one can't imagine like can you imagine like that happening to you that one day you just go to the toilet or something that you just find yourself like like for the love like this actually happens to some women it's terrible oh, yeah it's terrible and yeah. in, this, in this day and age I spoke to a sister the other day one of my close friends she, she's the same age as me she said that she didn't buy any sanitary towels until she was 18 and she started her period when she was maybe 13 so all, because her mum refused to acknowledge that she had a period 
and never spoke to her about it. Oh, so no. she just imagined for all those years, she was just using like tissue and other kinds of padding. Can you imagine living for five years like that? I would have been left. This is, and she's, this is, this is Muslim family. So can you imagine in the UK, not in, not in, not in South Asia or Africa or somewhere in the UK, these things still happen. So people really, we, we have a lot of work to do people in your fields. Like it's important work that you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, because yeah. I, it baffles me when I hear this kind of stuff. Like, it's just <laughs> like, literally, it's just like, what, how, why? Yeah. It's something completely natural. I what you're yeah, it's something completely natural that's been um it's looked down on so badly. It's like because I cause I, I openly talk about it. So when I do a consultation, sometimes mm-hmm. my ladies will come in um and they'll be just so um I don't want to say awkward, but just so shy to speak to me about yeah. it. And I have to ask a lot of almost like leading questions mm. to make them feel more um comfortable to 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 say it but it's like when they when they it's like when they open the floodgates the big some some of the stuff that people are dealing with and accepting it as normal and it is normal because lots of people are having it but then they're accepting it as normal like this is what it should be like because nobody says this is what a healthy one is this is this is when you need to go to the doctor this like I mean I wouldn't rather going to the doctor to be frank but it's like when you need to think about doing something about something you need to know like you need to be able to talk about it to know what is acceptable like period pains and being in pain when you're on your menstruation is absolutely not acceptable I don't accept it at all I don't think that it's necessary for anybody to have the pain and I think you know what like it's quite a deep topic and we could talk about this for literally ever right because I think it's related like a lot of the taboos that we have come from other cultures because it's not Islamic I remember like growing up in church, like it, it, um, I remember one of the, like they used to say stuff like, oh, that's, um, you know, because of what Eve did, right? You know, the sin that she committed with eating the apple and then giving it to Adam, salam. Oh, that's since that time, I mean, you know, God cursed her with having a period. So in Christianity, this, there's this belief that the period is the curse that Allah gave to the woman. So she would suffer every month with this period, but and so people already have it in their minds that a period is normal, that it should, it's something that's supposed to be painful. So I think that when they're having all these painful periods, they they believe it because they they call it the curse, isn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? And it's just like, actually, if you have, if you have that in your mind, every, every month when you feel period pain, you're just going to think, oh, well, it's normal. But it isn't normal. But we've been brainwashed and conditioned. <laughs> into thinking that oh yeah well it's the curse I've got the curse now like it's you know every month like you've got a period so it's normal you should be in this pain but it's not supposed to be like that people refer to it as I am not clean that's what the period yeah, refers yeah, to yeah, as yeah. I am not clean yeah, yeah. I'm not clean yeah um, a dirty thing but if we look at a period more of like um like for, for healthy periods you actually need to rest when you're exactly. on your period which exactly. a lot of people don't realize um because a lot of the time and 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 you need to eat you need to nourish yourself while you're on your menstruation which is really interesting because you know like we don't pray and we don't fast exactly exactly we're on our menstruation Mm -hmm. because you know if we do fast when we're on our menstruation we're not going to have a proper period it's not going to work properly we're getting enough nourishment you're not getting enough nourishment but you meet like i i was one time at a lady's house and um I think she was on a menstruation or I was on a menstruation and she was like making dinner for us. And then um, I, I mentioned period out loud and she was like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> I was like, why? What's happened? And her children was there and her children was about seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't let them know. And I was like, okay. And it's like, it's a, what they call it. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a word for it. Cause one of my clients told me the word for it. Um, it's a f- fake fasting I think it's called oh yeah okay well I, I've never I don't know which term that they but yeah people like people pretend to be fast and I hate that I really hate that I think that's terrible because you know all this kind of behavior feeds into this kind of um this belief that Islam is, is a misogynistic religion so you have to hide your period yeah. you know um, you have to, so you, you, you can't let people know that you're not praying or that you're not fasting. You have to pretend, you know, and eat in secret, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, 
Why are you doing that? Especially uh, for like, and these these can be like it goes into adulthood. People who are grown up, grown men who have been married and have wives. By that time, they they will have known that the woman has periods and all this kind of stuff. If they never knew it before, they will know it by then. But still, people will do this behavior, and it's just so backwards. And you just think, like, why are you doing that? Like, for whose benefit is it? Like, who are you trying to trick? And and especially when we have children growing up in the UK and in Western countries, do you think that those kids don't know what a period is? Like, are you serious? Especially you're sending them to Western schools. Do you think they don't know what a period is? Like, literally, it's something normal. Mummy's resting because she's having a period. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, if we if we trained our if we trained our children differently, then like in when when they grow up, you know these things it's going to be just not. And Hamza, like from my background, like you know my dad's always been like you know I, we we as girls we've always been able to talk to him about this stuff. Like our mum was there, but it wasn't a big deal. Like when I when I got my period and I went home. My dad was the one in the house at the time. He wasn't, he, you know, my mum was still at work. And I had, to, I had to tell him, well, I've got my period. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, like I wasn't acting all good. It was just a normal something. And he understood, like, and he knew, like, that I would need to rest and maybe I've got a headache. He called my mum at work so I could talk to her. Do you know what I mean? So it was just a normal something. Yeah, it's just like not any, there wasn't any kind of weird situation or like embarrassment because I'll have to talk to my dad about this. You know, obviously, when you do get your first period, it's not like the most ideal thing that, yeah, you think, oh, yeah, let me go and tell my dad real quick. But if that's if that if that's still your parents, you know what I mean? You know, some people don't have options, you know. So I just like, it's fun. Like, like, anyways, these things, people make life difficult when they don't need to be difficult. That's all. I think we just got a long way to go to clear these kind of um, ridiculous practices. Mm-hmm. Because like literally in this day and age, you, you meet some people who think we're living in a Western country. You're a highly educated person. You've been to university. Yeah, you'll do it. Even you work, you're a professional person. And still, when you're in your house, this is the kind of behavior that you're doing. You are, you're hiding in a corner to drink water so that your children don't see you for, because, because you can't tell them that you're, you're, fast, you're not fasting. Can you imagine? Yeah, I, I can't imagine doing it myself. That's um, what I'm saying. When, yeah, I just like... And when, when people tell me not to do it in front of them, I'm like, well, you're not fasting for me. <laughs> like, maybe I'm making you feel a little bit hungry and stuff. But if you think about it, when you're, like, fasting, someone else eating shouldn't be some, shouldn't bother you. Like, exactly. it shouldn't. I don't know, it doesn't bother me. It shouldn't. And I, I feed you know, my children. Exactly. <laughs> like, especially when you're a mum, you have to feed your kids anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when you've yeah. got small kids, you're going to have to feed them. And the, the smaller they are, the messier the feeding is going to be. And you'll probably end up with food on and your hands, market. all that kind of stuff. And you need to not, ref, you need to yeah. refrain yourself from maybe licking a finger or something like that that you might normally do if you when you're not fasting. So we actually, as mothers, we you have to have that much more awareness that you're fasting to make sure you don't kind of you know fall into these kind of little habitual habits that you do when you're feeding your kids as normal. Do you know what I mean? But but apart from that, it's like it's not a big deal. Like when when I'm fasting and people eat in front of me, they, up to now they still apologize. I'm like, look, I've had two kids raised them by myself and I used to feed them while I was fasting just eat <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't affect me like it's no big deal yeah it doesn't um I I actually don't I don't mind if someone's eating mashallah okay let's 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 get go let's get back to the inshallah get back to the topic okay so um right okay so alhamdulillah people can contact you on your Instagram and everything I'll put the link in the description yeah. inshallah and um right so what about traveling you mentioned obviously before that you had problems with mobility and everything uh, have you been able to travel now since you've been fully healed and recovered well, I can drive now so I do travel around mm-hmm. and um I have, like I don't really get any problems with my carbs I think sometimes I'm, I'm I probably go to places as well like where my mum lives is this place where there's not a lot of there's not a lot of Muslims here and um but I just I just I just I'm just not I'm just not affected by it but I remember I think it's this because I remember somebody I was talking about some with the um people looking at people and feeling like people are looking at you when you're having a car bond. and I remember having a conversation and I think it's because you're looking thinking people are looking at you so you see them looking at you exactly. maybe they are looking at me yeah. I don't I'm not faced I don't care if you're looking at me that yeah. I'm not looking at you I don't, I don't walk around looking at people I just exactly. mind my business 
see what I'm doing. And the, you know and what the thing I, is as I'm well, sometimes people, people you think somebody's looking at you and they're looking behind you, looking at somebody behind you, and that that's <laughs> that can be that can be embarrassing. I, I people are not really that interested in you. Um, I did go to Canada um, with my niqab and. I was a bit I was a bit shocked how pleasant they were in comparison to the UK. So even in the UK, I don't really have any I don't really have any problems. Mm-hmm. But in Canada, because um, I was a tourist, I was like eyes everywhere mm-hmm. looking everywhere. And I just didn't feel like no one noticed me. And I really liked that. Alhamdulillah. 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 That's great. And what about in the airport when you got there? Was there any issues in the airport? Um, I think yeah, I think you always get issues at the airport. <laughs> So a few times we nearly missed our um, plane. <laughs> wow. Just because, of the, just because of the long kind of processes that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I thought I thought maybe that was just like the norm. Alhamdulillah. The norm is going to happen. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So would you describe the Nakab as being a barrier at all? I think it's only a barrier if I let it be a barrier. So I work for myself. So, oh, I'll tell you a cool story though one time. Mm-hmm. So I work for myself. Um, so one time I was in my um, room, um, my treatment room, and I was, I was in um, central Manchester. And it was, it was quite early. It was like maybe 2017 or something. Um, and then this lady, she came and she'd booked online. So she didn't know who I was. And she just like found my services online and booked them. And when she um, came in, um, I'd um, got to the office and I still had, um, so I was there before her and she was waiting in the waiting area. I was praying in my office when she knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. And then when she came inside, so when I went to open the door to her, I still had my um, prayer clothes on yeah. and I only had my, I had my card, but it was just flipped, it was just flipped back. Yeah. So she came inside and she looked at me and um, she said, oh, um, wait a minute. And she left. Wow. <laughs> she left. <laughs> Subhanallah. And um, she paid and everything <laughs> um, um, because it was an online payment. But she didn't have any services and she didn't even contact me. And I just thought that was really weird. Wow. Um, I, think, I think she must have been uncomfortable, like, opening the door and seeing me. Not in, like, a therapist gown, but in, like, my full yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then so she mustn't have liked that maybe and then um, maybe there was another reason why she just oh, well, 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 if, if you was. haven't had anything yeah, back from, from her since again, then, then I had another lady that came yeah I mean she missed out man alhamdulillah <laughs> um, alhamdulillah it's okay and um, so a lot of the ladies I do see are like I do see a lot of Muslim um, women mm-hmm. um, but then I do see Muslim, I do not everyone I see is a Muslim so yeah. that was one time it wasn't a Muslim and then, um, and then I had another lady that came to see me um, more recently, mm-hmm. and um, she wasn't a Muslim either, but she had cupping. So a lot, um, a lot of people they like non-Muslims as well. They like to have cupping. Yeah. So she had cupping, and um, we got into some conversation, and then we started talking about Muslims. Mm-hmm. And she was like, "But do you not think they're rude?" And I was like, "Anybody can be rude." And she's like, um, "I said, I, you know, she says those ones that wear a." Um, those ones that were a veil, she was mm-hmm. saying. And she must have been, when she said a veil, she must have been referring to a hijab, you know, the one around you, like the scarf on your head. She must have been referring to that. And I was like, well, I wear one of those and I'm not rude. I said, anyone can be rude. Sometimes I go outside and people are rude. Yeah. I don't think it matters that they're Muslim or not, that that's the reason that they're rude. I don't think they're rude because they're Muslim. But she was talking about the ones that were veil are rude. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm in my, um, my work uniform, so I've got like, you can't really, like, I do wear a hijab most times in my office, so yeah. um, my hair's covered with like one of those baby girl hijab things, mm-hmm. um, but I don't wear the veil over my face, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. when I'm working, um, and like all my gowns are taken off, I like, I've, I've hung them up um, like in the changing area, yeah. then she just keeps, keeps on going over there, where she keeps on saying that they're, they're rude, and the ones that wear veils, and I'm like, I don't know, and I don't know, she's like, well, sometimes they just push past you in the street, and when you're in the shop, you know, they, they don't have any manners, and da, 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 da. and I kept saying, well, I've got really good manners, and I don't push past people in the street, and I wear a veil, and she's like, no, not that type you're wearing, you know, like, another kind of veil, and I said, I wear that, and she was like, and then I went behind the, <laughs> I went behind the barrier, put on my full hijab, come back out, and I'm like, you mean like this, isn't it? Mashallah. <laughs> and she was like, 
Oh, it was funny because I just did like, she just didn't say that basically people that dress like me are rude. And I was like, yeah. no, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can get someone that doesn't wear a hijab that is rude. You can get someone that wears a hijab, just like a, um, a face, um, what do you call it? A head hijab, hair hijab, yeah, you know, non-Nikabi. She mm. could be rude as well. Anybody can be rude. Anybody, like anybody can be rude. Anybody can be racist. It doesn't matter what colour you are or what country you're from or the level of education. I think people realise that when the Nikabi think, you know, she's rude. Maybe because maybe it's not Nikabi, maybe she's a bit more shy and she don't really just be like trying to conversate with you or she's not like used to having conversations with strangers and stuff. Maybe she ain't going to talk to you Um, because I'm a human being at the end of the day. You know, I think that sometimes why like, people be kind of like a bit off with Muslims as well, because, you know, but yeah, that was funny. Um, And the lady was really shocked. And she said, this is really eye opening. And I really went on to teach her like some basic stuff about the religion, like in religion, we're supposed to have manners and we're supposed to be like this yeah. and this and this. And she was like, oh, and, and you know, I think that she she really um benefited <laughs> from our our talking part of the session. Alhamdulillah. That's it broke down some barriers she was from a place she said where there was not a lot of um, Muslims there in the place where she lived either um, so I think it was um, like a nice little session I liked it when I came out and surprised her that's, that's good so on that note would you say that sisters who wear hijab get treated differently from sisters who wear the naqab I think yeah potentially they can because I think there's this misconception of you don't like you don't know who's behind the niqab mm. and maybe the girl behind the niqab isn't forthcoming with hey I'm a normal person I'm a human as well so then the person has all these other misconceptions in the head of what they think a niqabi is basically yeah. you know we're like like you know like me and you chatting now you can't see my face but yeah, exactly we've still got some kind of like decency between us you know mm-hmm. and people on the telephone you can't see the face I mean at least you can see my eyes on a red car I think it depends on the people like I just I treat everybody the same I don't care if you wear hijab or red niqab or you wear um no no you know nothing I don't I don't even care if you're a person you're a person I treat you accordingly yeah I don't treat people badly just because of the way they are I treat them any different really I think maybe people don't get that either because as a Nikabi, um, when people come to me, I know I, I know it's a minor P's and Q's a lot of the time, which I don't mind, you know, I don't like that kind of language, but um I mean I mean I think they're treating me differently because because I um because you're wearing Nikabi, yeah. Alhamdulillah. As long yeah. as as long as it's good treatment. But yeah, it's like you said, everybody should be treated the same, you know, it's from a lot. So uh I wanted to ask you, do, do have you ever met anybody that's been forced to wear the niqab at all? No, I haven't. I haven't. What about a sister who I remember when I met when I met um no, I haven't. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. And um, what what kind of advice would you give to sisters who would love to wear the niqab or they, you know, they're curious about wearing it? Um, but they feel that they don't have the confidence to wear it, what would you advise them? Babe, just do it. I mean, you don't have the confidence to do it. Make your, wear it and your clothes. Don't, like, don't let other people outside pick what you need to wear. You can wear whatever you want. Um, You know, as a Muslim sister, like, if you want to wear hijab, wear hijab. If you want to wear niqab, wear niqab. At the end of the day, when you're doing it as well, like, if you always have that intention that you're not doing it for other people, like, I don't even care what other people might say um, because it's none of their business really do it for yourself and do it for a lot and you I've, you feel like it's liberating like it's my face I'll show it to whoever I want definitely it gives you that I'm kind of like, I feel like just because we're living in yeah it's it's your face it's your body if you want to wear like if you want to wear something wear it it's your body you cover it how for something to please Allah and you think that okay I want to wear niqab because you think you've you've connected that with a part of your worship then do it I mean don't do it for fashion and stuff I wouldn't I wouldn't advise that I mean always have that intention that everything you do is the place of Allah but and like um definitely I think people should embrace it embrace embrace um, it and um finally what does the niqab mean to you the niqab what does it mean to me oh, that's a bit of a, a bit difficult question actually that's one of the most difficult question you asked me it just to me it's just I don't want to say like it's just part of my clothes 
but it's part of my outer garments. So it's just part of clothes that I'm wearing when I'm outside, part of like in my Muslim identity. When you see me on the road, you know that I'm a Muslim. And, you know, when you see someone and they're a Muslim, then I supp- it's like, you know that they're not into none of that other nonsense that maybe you might not know someone else is into or not because you can't really tell. But when you see me and then I've got my car on, I'm not into none of that nonsense. And that's kind of, I think, yeah, I think for me, it separates me from my old me a lot. I remember one time I looked in the mirror and I was, and I was in a lift. <laughs> I was like, who's that? And it was me, subhanAllah. subhanAllah. And, and, and I was doing that thing, you know, like when you move your hands. And I was like, that's my hand moving. And it was my reflection. And wow. I, didn't, I don't think I'd ever looked in the mirror in my full back. Um, and then I was like, oh. This is, and I was like, oh, that's why people like looking at me, and that's and then that's another reason why when people look at me, I'm not really that bothered. I'm like, oh, maybe they've never seen someone dressed like this before, you know? Because it's like it's got a, it's got a, a distinctive look. You don't look like other people. I'm like, alhamdulillah, it's okay. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, mashallah, sister. It's been really amazing talking to you today. Jazakallah khair. Alhamdulillah. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a really, really fun conversation, I think, alhamdulillah. Well, yeah, Jesus, yeah, thank you for inviting me to chit-chat with you, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, inshallah. for your time, and inshallah, um, for the listeners, um, thank you for listening as well, and don't forget to check out Sister um, Habiba's um, Instagram page, inshallah, and also um, the Naqabi Daris has a new blog now, so if you want to check the link in the description for the Naqabi Daris blog, inshallah, and, um, you know, take part in that. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.